Well, good morning. If you have elementary-aged kiddos or munchkins, they can head out that door right there. Eloise is going to lead the way. And uh, if you don't, you don't have to send them out there. So, well, Happy New Year. <clears throat> How's everyone going? I'm uh, not going through puberty again. Uh, my voice is a little squirrely. Uh, I have uh, some kind of, someone calls it a cold, but I refuse to admit I have one. So we're just going to let it roll. And uh, yesterday my voice decided it wanted to take a vacation. So we'll just see how it goes today. And if it, uh, if it goes out on us, I'll just squeak at you for a while. And uh, we'll see how it goes. So I don't know how your, your 2016 went, but it's over. And you can never do it again. Uh, I was looking at some stuff with uh, like year in reviews. If you don't know who Dave Barry is, Google Dave Barry year in review. And uh, it's hysterical. But uh, he, uh, looking back on 2016, it was a bit of a year for some. Uh, for our family, I would say it was tumultuous, a bit of upheaval, a little bit of chaos. Uh, we changed countries and uh, moved here to Oklahoma. And so it was a bit of a, a, bit of a doozy for the Scott family. Uh, a lot of our families in our church, we, we suffered through terrible griefs, and I think collectively we birthed like 97 babies or something. We had a whole bunch of babies pop in here. So uh, anyway, it was been a, it's been a fascinating year, and I don't know what your year was like. And so uh, when I was thinking about preaching today, I just thought, well, um, I mean, what am I going to teach on how you start the new year off? And so I decided to go to the, the Psalms. Um, Spurgeon says that there's, there's no better... Um, no man has better company than the Psalms, and it's just where you go. It seems like where the Lord drew me to more than anything this past year was just going through these songs that sort of are a, a grassroots uh, scripture that don't seem like, almost seem like they don't come from above, even though they're inspired. It's more like they come up from below, from the heart of man, and from our experience here on planet Earth. So we're going to jump into one, but before we do that, I'd, I'd better pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your faithfulness to us in 2016. This is the first day of a new year, and, and to you, you are outside of time. You are the great I am. You exist in the past and the present and the future all at once. There is no passing of day to you. You are the, the day spring. You are the morning sun. We just want to thank you, tell you that we love you, and, and ask you to teach us today. Ask the Lord to teach you from his word today. Pray for the person next to you, that he would teach them from his word. Um, pray for my voice, that he strengthens it. Lord, we just love you. We open your word in, in, in great joy. With awe, we open it. We trust you. Help us to read and understand. Transform us through this time with you. We encounter the living God through this time in your word. We're grateful to you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm in Psalm 18, which isn't, uh, we're not going to do the whole thing, by the way. So if you look at it and you're like, oh no, Brandon's going to go through 50 verses, uh, don't worry. Uh, I'm not, I would love to, but we're not going to. Uh, so <clears throat> this Psalm is, if you know anything about the Psalms, they're, 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 they're poetry, they're uh, lyrical, they're songs. They were written by a whole bunch of people. David wrote more than any of them. And in Psalm 18, we have this little subscript here. It's a very long subscript. Oftentimes it just says the Psalm of David or whatever. But this says, For the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord the words of the song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So it gives us the context of, uh, it gives us who wrote it. 
which is David, the David that you think of when you think of the Bible. And it says, he sang to the Lord the words of the song. Of course, it tells us it's a song. Uh, the words of the song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So it gives us a bit of a time frame. So David, Saul dies in about 1010 BC and David uh, takes his rightful throne after Saul had died. It's an incredible story. And, uh, and then Saul, uh, David had to fight a bunch of people. So he had to take, uh, what was the citadel of the Jebusites that became the city of Jerusalem. And then he had to battle all these enemies around him, the Philistines and the Moabites and the Amorites and all the ites and the bad guys. He had to fight to give himself a peaceful kingdom. His kingdom was at war when he took it. And so he had to battle all of these enemies. And he, he finally gets peace. And then he has a very peaceful reign uh, through the life of his son Solomon. And then after Solomon, the whole, the wheels came off and the whole thing split apart and fell apart. But so we're looking at a right around 990 or let's just say 1000 BC. So 3,000 years ago, which is a lot of years, David writes this psalm. So it's also, by the way, found in 2 Samuel chapter 22. If you want to jump in and, and read First and Second Samuel, awesome, do it. It's an incredible story of, of well, just read it. Just, just read First and Second Samuel. But you'll see this in 2 Samuel 22. And David, uh, it's in there near the end of his life. But this psalm is in there, with the exception of kind of the intro, in its entirety. But it was this psalm written by a, a a guy who was a shepherd poet who became a warrior, who became a, a, a king, who was this man after God's own heart. And David is this beautiful, tragic story in the Bible. And he's, he's this incredible character, this incredible man who's faulty like all of us. But he wrote this song after the Lord had given him victory over his enemies and after he had given him the throne of Israel. Now, it's broken down like every psalm is. It's got a context and it's got a, a structure to it because poetry is structured language. And so this one, if you look at uh, verses 1 through 3, is kind of the intro. 4 through 19 is going to talk about uh, David's uh, need and his deliverance. 20 through 29, this is a fascinating little bit where David is kind of justifying his own righteousness to the Lord. Uh, we're not going to have time to get into it today, but if you want to read about it and you and I talk about it over a cup of coffee, I would love that. But not today. And so verses 30 through 45 is a, an, a, just a, more of an explanation of God's character. It's rich with incredible things. It's got that great phrase in it. Uh, it says, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. In verse 33, he enables me to stand on the heights. Or in the King James Version, he gives, hinds, gives me hinds feet in high places. It's beautiful. And then 46 through 50 kind of uh, concludes the psalm with, with this great uh, chorus of praise, which I guess is how we should end everything. But we're just going to be in the first 19 verses today. So let's jump into it here. Verse 1 starts out with this. It says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. It's very personal and it's very directed. But he doesn't say, I love you, kind of random God. He says, I love you, O Lord. And when you see the words capitalized L-O-R-D, that's the translator's way of writing out the, the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, which is what God gave Moses uh, from the burning bush. When Moses said, hey, if I'm going to go down and talk to all these people, who am I going to say sent me? And the Lord said, tell them that I am sent you. And that's where we get his name. So when it says, I love you, O Lord, it's very specific. It is the God of the Bible, right? It is the triune God that we love and serve and worship today. So when he says, I love you, O Lord, it's not just random God or one of many gods. It is the one true God, Yahweh. I love you, O Lord, my strength. It's a declaration of his love to him. It's a very personal directed to him. And it's a, it's a recognition of that God is the source of David's strength. Then he goes on, he says, the Lord is my rock, 
my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I am saved from my enemies. So when he says the Lord is my rock, this is symbolic literature, right? So it doesn't mean that God is actually a, a, a rock. God is not a rock, okay? So if anybody, it's, I mean, we use this language all the time. It's, it's a metaphor. God is a rock. But why would he say that God is a rock? Well, I mean, here in, in Oklahoma, right, if you, if you want to build a good foundation, you dig down through the dirt to the what? The bedrock. And then you stick in piers, and you build it up, and you lay your foundation on top of those piers because the bedrock doesn't move. Well, it does, actually, in an earthquake. But uh, <laughs> as long as everything's moving together, apparently things usually work. But uh, the rock is the most stable thing that you can build on, right? Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he hears my words and does them. He is like a man who builds his house on the rock and who doesn't is like him who builds his house on the sand and the winds come and it blows his house down the rock means stability the rock means assuredness we just sang a song rock of ages which is incredibly beautiful rock of ages cleft for me let me hide myself in thee it's incredible and we look at god as a rock he is stable my fortress what is the purpose of a fortress uh, i live in a home i don't live in a fortress but i just moved from guatemala where my home was actually more fortress uh when in high crime areas, uh, we had an area that was, uh, our, our neighborhood was surrounded by a wall, and it had a guy with a gun at the gate. His name was uh, Mr. Perfect, it really was. And, uh, but, uh, Don Perfecto. But anyway, uh, you lived, and if you build a new neighborhood in Guatemala nowadays, you make it walled, and then your houses are made of concrete, and they have uh, bars on the windows. Why? It's a dangerous country. Um, of course, I've actually had more stuff stolen from my front porch here than I have in 10 years in Guatemala, but such as life. So, uh, but a fortress is where you go to be protected from the attack of an enemy, right? We don't really build fortresses here, but half the towns out here are Fort something, right? Fort Sill, Fort Hood. You've got forts all over the United States. Fort Worth, that's because that was the frontier, right? And so you had forts because we were, people were coming in and, and, and killing each other. So we had, you have, you have forts to establish a safety, a place of safety where you can go in a time of, of war, so God is our rock, a stable place. He is our fortress. He is where we can go to when we are under attack. And my deliverer, now deliverer, that is not symbolic. That is actually who he is. He is the one who delivers us from trouble. He goes again and says, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge. And so someone in whom you take refuge, a refuge is, where you, is, is, a, is a place of safety during distress or or war, and if you think about the word refugee, a refugee is someone who is seeking out refuge. So if you look at, 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 at the war that's going on in Syria right now, which is a horrible, horrible war, and you have tens and tens of thousands of refugees fleeing their homes, seeking asylum from the war. And so a refugee is a person who seeks refuge, and we all come to God as refugees seeking refuge in him from all manner of things. Uh, if, if I were, had my family in Aleppo, I would have fled that war-ridden city seeking refuge. And that's what David is saying. He's saying God is the refuge. He is the person to whom I flee when I'm under attack. And that I am a refugee as I go to him. I'm very grateful that I don't actually know what it means to be a refugee. But there are a lot of people who have come to this city who have been moved here who do. The Sp Sparrow Project works with many of them. It says, he is my shield. And that word shield in the King James Version actually says buckler. 
And so when we think of shield, we think of like the knights in the big suits of armor and, and a giant shield that kind of covers their body. But that didn't come around to like 1400 AD. So a long time after this was written, a buckler is actually a small shield that is meant to parry the blows of an opponent in a sword fight. So it's not like a big shield that covers your whole body. You think of this sort of passive defense. It's actually a defense used when a, an attacker would, would swing a sword. You would use a buckler to parry the blow so that you could then attack. And that's what David is saying that the Lord is. He is my shield, but not this passive thing I hide behind. He is defending me in the process of a battle. It's fascinating. We'll get into the Lord doing this later on. Then he says, the horn of my salvation. You may have a footnote in your Bible. Uh, Horn in in, in, uh, the Psalms is, uh, or in Hebrew literature is, uh, means strength. Think about the horn of a bull. But he is the horn of my salvation, the strength of my salvation. He is my stronghold. Again, a stronghold is where you go when you're under attack. And he says this, he says, I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I am saved from my enemies. So he says, I call to the Lord. And I looked up and I'm obviously not calling him on the phone, right? Not that kind of phone call. That's like Santa baby. Yeah. Anyway, not, not on the telephone, sorry. But you go, I call to the Lord. What does it mean to call to him? Um, well, I cry out to him. I looked and the word call means to, to speak in a loud, distinct voice so as to be heard from a distance. Isn't that fascinating? Think about calling to somebody. You're not like, hey, how's it going? I don't call to my kids when they're outside. I'm like, hey, kids, come on in. Like, hey, I can't actually yell right now. But uh, you, you yell. A call is a yell. It is a loud, distinct voice so as to be heard from a distance. And that is what David is doing to the Lord. He is loudly speaking to the Lord. And then I give this little information here. Who is worthy of praise? I call to the Lord. Who is worthy of the praise? Not David, but it is the Lord who is worthy of our praise. And he says, and I am saved from my enemies. I have this incredible picture that David gives us just in these three verses of, of who the Lord is. It's amazing when you think about the David writing the Psalm 3,000 years ago, and the Lord has not changed one iota. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the Lord was a rock then, and he is a rock now. He was a fortress then, he's a fortress now. He's our deliverer then, and he's our deliverer now. He is the rock in whom we take refuge. He is the shield, the horn of our salvation. He is our stronghold. And that is why David calls to him. He's worthy of his praise and he's saved from his enemies. So now he's kind of given this declaration of what he's done and and, and who the Lord is. And then in verses four through six, he's going to give us basically his circumstances. So it says this in verse four. Uh, The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. uh, Again, a reference to the King James. By the way, King James is beautiful in the Psalms. It's just beautiful uh, literature in the English language. But instead of the cords of death, it says the sorrows of death. The sorrows or the cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. That's a lot of trouble, right? If you're in, he's not like just stuck in traffic. Uh, he was under imminent threat of death. And it's like the, if you imagine the cords of death coming up out of the grave and grabbing onto him and overwhelming him. The cords of the grave, the, the, the uh, King James Burton says, the sorrows of hell coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. This is a man who is literally at imminent fear of losing his very life. 
It's not like, oh, I can't do this, or I can't do this, or I'm grumpy, or I didn't even want it for Christmas. People are trying to kill him. Really. And he says the cords of death is beautiful imagery. If you imagine standing there and like cords from big vines from are coming out of the grave and grabbing onto David and pulling him into the grave, that's the imagery he's giving us. Then he says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I thought about what the word distress means. I love words. Uh, I love that the Lord Jesus is called the word. Uh, I love that we have the word of God. I love how languages function. So I'm kind of a, I don't know what that's probably a word nerd. I don't know. It's probably a bigger word for that. I should know if I love words so much. But anyway, um, something file, word of file. Somebody who's smarter than me, tell me and Google it and look it up. But I looked at the word distress because he says, in my distress, I call to the Lord. So I would say, okay, well, I'm distressed. And obviously it looks like stress has something to do with distress. But uh, distress is this, anguish of body or mind. It is a state of danger or desperate need. It is to cause, to worry or be troubled. And usually an external cause of great physical and mental strain and stress. A state of danger or desperate need. Anguish of body or mind. So David's saying, I was in anguish physical anguish, mental anguish. I had true cause to worry. There was an external cause causing me great physical and mental strain. And in that state, what did he do? He called to the Lord in a loud voice, in a loud, distinct voice, so as to be heard from a distance. There are times when you don't, can't really call out, right? Like in Nehemiah, he's sitting there and the, and the king talks to Nehemiah and he has this little bitty prayer, right? It's like this instant, Lord help me, prayer where no mouthing is done, no words are actually spoken. And you've got Peter's cry where he says, Lord save me as he's sinking down into the water. This is this distinct and direct and intentional call to a person. And it is the person who is the living God. I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. Not somebody else's God, not my parents' God, my God. It is personal. He knows this Lord, and he is crying out to him for help. It says, from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. It never ceases to amaze me that we as people can talk and that God hears us and, and responds. Isn't that amazing? I mean, the, the, the Proverbs and the Psalms of is just replete with, with references to man being so temporal. We're like, we're like grass that grows up and withers away when the sun hits it, and then uh, the wind blows and it blows away. We're like flowers that pop up in the field and then die that next day. We, we don't live here very long. This psalm was written 3,000 years ago, and most of us, I mean, you live to 85, you're really pretty old nowadays. This was written 3,000 years ago, and billions of people have lived and died in that amount of time. But yet, we're the only creature in all of creation created in God's image. I love trees. I love animals, especially like big ones. I can think about a grizzly bear. And as massive and powerful as that is, Adam gave that animal its name. We were created in God's image. The only creature in all of creation given that incredible glory. And of course it fell Sin entered the picture and screwed everything up entirely. And God is in, that, in this amazing process of redeeming his creation for himself. And in the midst of that process, we who still carry the image of God can 
talk to him, and he will actually hear us and respond. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. And I so often forget, I'm like, oh, I'm driving, and I'm like, oh, Lord, can you help me? No, I can talk to the God of all creation. The God who existed, has always existed, exists now, exists in the future at the exact same time. He is not bound by time. He's not bound by any of the things that bind me. I can talk to him and he will hear me. My cry came before him into his ears. So this is David's situation, right? It is dire. It's not good. Literally, the, the cords of hell have ensnared him. And that is where he is. Now, verses 7 through 15, we're going to get God's response. And I love this. I love this response. Remember, this is poetry. This is symbolic language. So I'm just going to read it. And then we'll go back through it. But I want you to try and just engage your imagination today. Engage it and try to think about putting these words into images in your brain. That's what it was designed to do. Verse 7, this is the Lord's response to David's cry to him for help. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemies, great bolts of lightning, and routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils. Now that's a response. Isn't that amazing? It is this like sky-splitting, volcanic, hailstone, lightning, booming, thundering response. It's not this, I'm coming, it's all right. No, it's all right. Settle down. I cried to the Lord in my distress and what happens? The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the mountain shook and they trembled because he was what? Angry. The Lord was angry. Why? Why was the Lord angry? Because one of his children was in distress because of evil. Evil was attacking David. There's no two ways to put it. Saul's advance and attack of evil was, of, of David was, was based in sin. Sin had entered the picture and broken all these people around David and all these people acting in their brokenness and sin were attacking David. We're wanting to kill him. Now, let me ask you parents out there, if someone wanted to kill your child and was actively trying to kill them, how would you respond? Well, we should probably settle this matter calmly. <laughs> what? No. If a dog was chasing after your baby or a bear was chasing after your baby, would you sit and, well, I should probably call somebody to, no, you would run. Even if you got eaten by the bear, you would at least slow it down, right? So you would do something. You would respond. That's what children do for their parents. They respond when their parents, when their children are in distress. It's what they do. We don't always do very well. Sometimes we overreact. But God, our Heavenly Father, is responding to his child in distress, He's angry. God gets angry. Don't let anybody say that the Lord doesn't get angry. Uh, the Lord is angry at sin. 
He's angry at the cause of sin. He's angry at what sin does. He gets angry at us when we sin. We are given grace through our Lord Jesus Christ that we are no longer the objects of his wrath. It's an amazing thing. But never lose sight that God is angry and wrathful at sin. That when we sin, we should not do it, oh, I've got grace to cover that. No. Sin is terrible and breaks the heart of God and causes him to be angry. I do not want the God in this few verses coming after me. I don't want that. Listen, the smoke rose from his nostrils. He's like a war horse. Consuming fire came out of it. It's like this fire-breathing dragon. I don't know. Came out from his dragon's probably not a good thing. That's like the devil. But more like a horse. Consuming fire-breathing horse. Uh, burning coals by that. But it's like a volcano erupting, right? He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under him. He mounted the cherubim. Cherubim are, if you remember when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, God put a cherubim there with a flaming sword. It's not a naked baby flying around. That's not what cherubim are. I don't know what they are exactly. And you can probably read lots of books about what people think angels are, but cherubim are not to be messed with. And they're, uh, in, in, uh, in the book of Ezekiel, when Ezekiel gets these images of God's throne, the cherubim are what are underneath the throne causing it to fly. It's incredible. So it's like God's very throne is coming down and flying down to earth. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, dark rain clouds of the, uh, up in the sky. You think about here in Oklahoma, we get some, some storms, like no joke, like not just rain, but like scrape things off the face of the earth, right? Not just, I mean, right? Ask an Oklahoman. Uh, tornadoes are no joke. You guys don't mess around. And uh, I mean, I actually, I dug a hole in my foundation and put a shelter in it because uh, if a big one comes, I can get out underground. And so this is like the Lord coming in this giant tornadic tempest. It's amazing. I think when we look at powerful weather, hurricanes, it should cause us to worship this Lord who can calm those things or ride them in his justice. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advance, hailstones and bolts of lightning. This says the Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. It's this amazing picture of God in this fiery lightning, hailstone, dark clouds coming and his voice screaming before him like thunder. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. Great bolts of lightning and routed them. I love that line in um, Mighty Fortresses Are God, talking about the devil, our great adversary, says one little word will fell him. He can, he, we cannot stand up to the devil. He is this incredibly powerful creature. I don't even know what all he can do, but I can't stand up to him. But one little word will fell him. All the Lord's got to say is, it's done. He's done. And that happens. I love Revelation. Read to the end of the book. Uh, You'll see what happens to him. You can cheat. You can read the end and then go back through and read the beginning. It's all right. Lord wins. That's the tricky part, fun part. So, but he shoots his arrows and he routes them. To be routed is not just like, yay, we give up. No, they're running. I mean, have y'all ever seen a war movie? When guys get routed, like when Braveheart comes in and routes the bad guys, they run. They run away because they don't want to be destroyed. And it says, the valley of the seas were exposed. The foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke at the blast of breath from your breath, excuse me, from your nostrils. So you imagine like, a, have you ever seen a horse blast breath from its nostrils? I think I'm at a blue book right there. 
Have you ever seen a horse do that? And, or a, or a, it's a larger animal or whatever. This is talking about the Lord in just the exhalation of his breath blows all the water out of the ocean, can move miles of water and expose the very valleys of the sea. We don't even know what's at the bottom of the sea yet. It's miles and miles down there. It's incredibly hospitable. But the Lord, just with his breath, can expose things that we don't even know exist. He can move away the waters that have drowned so many millions of people and he can expose the very foundations of the earth. It's incredible to think about this. The foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke. The Lord's saying, no, stop it. And it lays bare the ocean floor. I love it. I love this picture. And this is the God to whom David calls to. David does not call to some little puny guy that you put a little statue on and talk to. Or a God that uh, has arms. And if you've ever been around any uh, or investigated any, anybody who has, comes from a Hindu background, they have millions of gods. Millions of them. Little personal gods. Romans had little gods. Everybody's got little Greeks had little gods. And gods that come down and do weird stuff and make half gods. And it's all stories. But this is the one true God. And this is how he's responding when one of his children is in distress. I love it. This is who God is. And we so often forget who he is. He is this great and powerful, menacing, terrible, awesome God. He is not just this like, Jesus giving you a high five, drinking a beer with you. No, Jesus was not a hipster, all right, with like the beard. No, God is God. And we deserve to be directly in the line of this fire. That's what we deserve. But Jesus stands between this and us. That's why we can worship him. Because Jesus stood there and said, Father, put it all on me. I will take the absolute, total wrath of your fury and I will take it upon myself and I will bear separation from you so that all of these people who are your enemies can be saved. Isn't that amazing? I love that the gospel is everywhere in the Bible. It's everywhere. That instead of us being routed before the wrath of God, he gathers us up and makes us his children. So that is the response that God gives to David. Look in verse 16. He's not done yet. It says, He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. After all this terrible fury, isn't that a surprisingly tender thing to say? Reached down from on high and took hold of me. Imagine if your little child was in the water, or any little child was in the water, drowning. You don't just reach out and be like, all right, take a breath, down, down. All right, take a breath. No. What do you do? You reach down. You would pick that child up. You lay him on the floor. Hold him, right? What does he say? He reached down. He reached down. Who is the initiator of the action? It's the Lord. From on high, it is heaven is the source of this action. And took hold. Tape on my shoe. And took hold hold of me. It's incredible. Because if I read verses 7 through 15, I would be like, please don't burn me and destroy me with your awesome breathing nostrils. And yet, the Lord takes hold of me. Drove me out of deep waters and he rescued me from my powerful enemy. From my foes, 
or were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place and he rescued me because he delighted in me. Who is David giving credit to? The Lord was my support. My enemies were too strong for me. They were my powerful enemy. David was overwhelmed, absolutely, completely, and utterly overwhelmed. And yet the Lord rescued him. And David gives no, uh, he does not credit himself at all. Actually, it's funny, in verses 20 through 29, this is a tangent, never mind. So, who are too strong for me, David confesses his utter and absolute need for the Lord. He was unable to bear up under the attack. It says he brought me out into a spacious place or into a broad place. I found that when we lived in Guatemala for a little while that I had some kind of like hidden anxiety. It wasn't just because it was in Guatemala. But I grew up in, in uh, Dallas and, and lived in Lubbock. And I was used to open spaces, right? Like you can look and see the sky. We lived in a valley and everywhere I drove was mountains, like mountains right up on you. And so mountains over here, and you drive around another mountain and boom to another mountain. And, and I felt like the mountains kind of closed me in. I think probably people who live in the mountains that come out here get freaked out because they're like, where are the mountains? But when you are where you're not used to, I, I, I always longed for a, a broad place, an open place where you could walk and there's not rocks falling on you. There's no landslides. The Lord brought me out into a spacious, open country. And it said, he rescued me. Why? Because he delighted in me. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible that David calls to this Lord, this God, this being, because he delights in him. Not because of what David did, but because the Lord delighted in him. Isn't that a fun word, delight? Like you're like, ooh, I'd like to have a little delight, a little ice cream, some... But it's this word, this this fun, light, joyful, relational word. You delight in something. Children delight on Christmas morning. Uh, grandparents delight in their grandchildren because they don't have to uh, deal with them all the time, right? So you can just enjoy the the wonder of childhood <laughs> and not have to like discipline them and all that fun stuff. So what do we take from all this? I don't know where you are in life. Um, I really don't. I, I know I'm getting to know every one of you bit by bit, um, and it's a delight, really. And I mean that in the full wonder of its word. It's a delight to get to know you and to share in the life of this church. So you are a beautiful bunch of people. I mean, you're good looking, but I mean, you're a beautiful bunch of people, right? You really are. You're wonderful. Every one of you I meet, we're all the same in our need for the Lord. And David goes back and says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. I would encourage you as you go through this year, would you just lay it out there to the Lord? Uh, David is not holding anything back. Uh, the, the sorrows of hell coiled around me. I mean, he's not just, he's not painting any pretty picture for the Lord. When you have a time of prayer with the Lord, lay it all out before him. Of course, he knows it anyway. But there is a great mysterious lightning when we lay out, lightning of our low, when we lay out our heart and our struggles before the Lord. Uh, there are things in my heart that only the Lord and I know, and I, struggles that I have that I just lay before the Lord. 
There are very obvious struggles that we have that we lay before the Lord. Financial struggles, relationship struggles. There's, our life is full of struggle. Lay them before the Lord. Call out to him in a loud voice. Uh, I think psalms are meant to be read aloud. And I, I, like, I've never gotten to the silent praying while I'm driving thing. Uh, I, I would say if you've never yelled at the Lord, you've never really prayed. Uh, I mean like yelled. Like, I'm mad at you, Lord, and I don't know why this is going on. That's what the Psalms are full of. I don't think crying out to the Lord is this kind of organized. I imagine more of a shriek, screaming, Lord, help me. Call out to him from your distress. Uh, remember who he is. Um, I often forget, this is why reading the Bible is so wonderful. It reminds me to remember. And the, the people of Israel just forgot to remember all these things the Lord had done. And we too often forget to remember who he is. He's not somebody on a card. He's not somebody that gets sold. He's not part of an enterprise like he's in the U.S. here. He is the Lord, the one true God. And as we read about this incredible symbolism and see what he's like, we remember who he is. Fourth, I encourage you that when you call upon him, let him take hold of you, okay? A lot of times we're like, oh, I don't really need any help. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm just, I'm just, I, need you, I need you to get me out of this situation. But once I'm there, I'm fine. I don't need to go. In. No, I'm good. I take it from here. It's so dumb, you know? We're like, Lord, I've got it. You, you rescued me. You pulled me out of the water, but I can resuscitate myself. I just got just to gotta tough it out. It's so silly that we do that. Let him take hold of you. Isn't it amazing that these hands that throw lightning bolts at evil hold a child next to their heart? Let him take hold of you. That's what he wants to do anyway, but he wants us to allow him to do it. Surrender to the goodness of the Lord. This psalm ends with, whoa, almost fell off with this. My tape fell, stuck to my foot. It's trouble right there. I should call it to the Lord. Um, verse 46 says this, the Lord lives. Love that. Praise be to my rock. Exalted, lifted up, be God my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who subdues nations under me. I've never had a nation subdued under me, but David did who saves me from enemies, who exalted me above my foes, from violent enemies, you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, where? Among the nations. The very people that the Lord had conquered through David, he would praise them, praise him among those nations. I will sing praises to your name. Lay your life out there. Call out to the Lord. Remember who he is. Let him take hold of you and then praise his name in your own heart, in your family, in your church community, and out there. While you're sitting at Walmart, and the lady says, how's it going? And you go, life is good, because the Lord rescued me, and I love him. Do that, I dare you, and see what she says. Uh, try it. This is the world full of churches. This is a, excuse me, a, a town full of churches with very few believers walking around, it seems like. A town full of churches with very few disciples. A town full of churches with very few people walking around actually declaring the praises of the Lord. Do that. Look like an idiot. It'll be fine because this giant volcanic God is behind you. It's all right. He'll take care of you. 
We have uh, every week a group of uh, people that will be back there to pray with you. Pittmans will be back there today. If you want, go back there and pray with them. Just, it doesn't actually have to be a disaster for you to pray. We can pray when something's going well, believe it or not. We can pray to lay the groundwork for this next year. They're, they're back there to, to pray with you, and to pray for you. Take advantage of that. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. I'm so grateful for your kindness and your majesty. I thank you for this psalm that you are our rock to whom we can come. I thank you that you respond to our prayer in this magnificent way. Would you help us to call out to you in our distress? May we receive your answer and your presence. And may we go and tell others about what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and uh, sing this final song and really seal um, this amazing, amazing words that the Lord has brought to us this morning. Uh, ask